Hey listeners, I'm Eric Taylor, and this is The Hair Game. Salon Republic has now officially opened our new locations in Torrance, Valencia, Burbank, and Escondido. Thousand Oaks opens soon. Go to salonrepublic.com for details and to book a tour to see it. Pod loot giveaway time. This is a very large, colorful, envy-worthy Amika tote bag, and I am not in the office, so I'm going to call Donovan to do the honors. Hello. <laughs> Donovan, you're on the intro right now. Do you have very, the pod loot? Very meta. It is very meta. Do you have the pod loot bag in hand? I have the bag in hand. Ready. All right. So draw a name. And the winner is Jax. J A C K S S. Jax, DM me at Love Eric Taylor and send me your email. And actually, send me your mailing address. At the end of the show, I'll tell you what we'll give away next week. And I will say bye to Donovan now. Thank you, Donovan. Bye, everybody. Enjoy the episode. This is our third best of episode, covering episodes 21 to 30. And I love these episodes, one, because they help the new listeners catch up without having to listen to, you know, 10 hours of content but also because it's a good reminder for those of us who've listened to the episodes, but maybe that was a long time ago. So let's get to it. All right, our first highlights are from episode 22, How to Deliver the Client Experience with Carlos Ramos. He's known as Sugar Skulls on Instagram, and he goes over his process for a client coming into the salon, what he does to treat them treat them right and give them an experience that is above what they'd get somewhere else. Run us through the, the steps of the process, like the tactical shit, you know, the things that you need to remember, even if it's your bro coming in uh, to deliver that experience. All right, I try to keep everybody, all my clients are like my hair bros, so it doesn't matter. It could be a new first time client, it could be their 30th haircut, doesn't matter. They come in, Give them a hug, I hug everybody. A long time ago I read in a book that if you don't get five hugs a day, you become weird. So I just started <laughs> hugging awesome. everybody just because I'm like, energy is contagious. Yeah. And I just believe in that. So hug my client, even if I'm in the middle of somebody, but then I go back. I don't talk to them till I'm done with the other client, even if they show up early. They get a drink, I have an apprentice waiting, offering them something. They hang out when it's their time. If their hair's crazy long, we'll do before pictures. If it's not, if it's just a touch up, we're still gonna do after pictures every time. We begin, I fade them up, I work their top a little bit, then they get shampooed, get everything off, we clean, we re-clean the station, reset up, then after their shampoo, then I finish the top, I blow dry it, I style it, and then when we're totally done, we shoot photographs of every single client. And every single client, I take about 35 pictures, 20 to 35 pictures, and I airdrop them to them off my iPhone. Let's talk about the after photos. How did that start? Um, I just used to tell everybody, I'm like, how cool would that be if you had a picture of every single haircut you've ever had your whole life? I've been cutting clients for almost eight years now, 
and they have every single photo I've ever taken. And I'm like, how cool would that be just to look back? You can almost make like your own flip book of like, this has been my transition. And I'm like, now we have the power to. I know they're not our models sometimes, but I like making people feel that way. Because some people never get that experience to be photographed. Some people are never in a band, they're never a model. But I make my clients feel a little bit more than just the regular, their regular day lives. All right, so those of you who know Carlos's Instagram page know that he likes to put sunglasses on his clients. How did that start? Oh yeah, so that's a crazy part. So when I started beauty school, got a DUI, got my license suspended for nine months, and it was like a terrible time. This is like one of the little failures, like a blessing and a curse that came to me. And so I used to tell everybody, bring me a tall counter and join, I'll cut your hair for free when I was in beauty school. And I used to do haircuts every single night. And everybody's eyes were bloodshot as hell when it was like 1 a.m. So I That's told everybody, I'm like, I'm like, I can't photograph you, dude. I can't post this online. And I used to just have sunglasses laying around all the time. And I'd be like, put on these sunglasses. And I started doing that. And I remember this one chick one time when she was just like, she was like, I love the way you're branding yourself with sunglasses. And I was just like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm branding myself. Like, that's awesome. So that's how the sunglassing came. That's up. a great story. So tell us about how to operate uh, a studio like yours. You know, we've had comments to the hair game. How do we find good hairdressers? When we find them, how do we keep them? How do we, how do we develop the personality interaction and the culture and all that kind of stuff? And it seems like you've been able to do that. That's probably been the toughest part. Out of everything, it's just like, we've gone through so many, like our hair heathens, all our hair nerds that cut hair here, but building a team in a community has seriously been the hardest thing. It's almost like being in a band, like doing it with a bunch of other creative minds. Like we all have these egos and pride and we all think we know how it should go, but everybody needs to learn that. Wherever you work, wherever you go, whoever's leading, like that's your, that's your captain, that's your lead singer. You have to trust that person. It's all gut feeling too though. It's just people I've met, people that have clicked with me, people that I've just connected with that I'm like, that reach out to me, honestly. It's, it's the ones that reach out to me that actually stick here and like come hang out and come cut hair here. And, and again, I just wanted more of a creative space where I feed off energy. I'm super energy driven. So me working by myself isn't as fun in a sense. Like sometimes it, I'll just get bored, but if I have somebody else with me, I feed off of that. Right. Like I'm just like, oh, this person's all loud and awake. And then all of a sudden I become that. Your spirit is always so high and you're fun to be around and, and you're, you always seem like you're having a good time, even if maybe you're in a bad mood. Um, so what are the things that like get you up? Like when you're down, what are those things that really get you up? My friends, it's just my friends, my clients. That's why I came up with that little rule, don't send me your shitty friends, just cause I'm like, I'm so energy driven. Like my best friend Ali can come over and this dude just, he makes me look sleepy. He makes me look like I'm shitty with people cause he's that good at it. And I'm just like energy, I'm just so energy driven where I'm like, if I hang out with the wrong people, that bums me out. So I just need good people around me all the time. And, and I feed off of that. Let's say that you had to move to another city right now. And let's say that you were stripped of your Instagram account and you were stripped of your brand, Sugar Skulls, uh, but you still had your talent, your personality, you know, your knowledge. Um, what, 
how would you start over? It would be hard. I would have to go door to door into every salon. I would find the salon in that city. But here's the thing that you forget. If I, if I were to even move and I lost Instagram, I would have zero clients. Right. Even if I were to move with Instagram, I would still have zero clients in New York, you know? Sure, I'd get like a couple people here and there being like, oh, hey, I would love to get a haircut by you. But that still doesn't mean a solid lockdown clientele that keeps you afloat. So, man, like I would just have to go. But again, that's where word of mouth comes in, where you have to go meet people. People have to meet. So where would you go to meet people? I would go to, I would Yelp every five-star hair salon in New York City if I had to move to New York City. And I would walk in there and I'd be like, hi, can I get a tour? Um, who's the owner? And I would introduce myself. I'd say what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And I would just try to build relationships again and see where I got the vibe, who thought I was good. I might have to do a couple little tryouts and do some free haircuts, but whatever. like. Yeah. We could do it again. But. Do some internship, maybe some yeah. assistant type stuff, yeah. knock on doors. Of course. Yeah. Um, so that was good advice to all the new graduates of hair school, right? Yes, definitely. Next up is episode 23, how to make it to the main stage with Ted Gibson and Jason Baki. Now, these two are salon owners who have made a name for themselves, educating on the large stages at events and hair shows and also for gaining celebrity clients. So they talk about what it takes to have that type of attitude, that personality to entertain and educate on the large stage, as well as the strategies needed for gaining celebrity clients. So often artists are kind of stubborn about their vision and they only wanna do what they wanna do. But in the artists that I've seen be successful, they're able to adapt and not necessarily get stubbornly stuck on maybe one thing that they only want to do. Sure, and you know what, I think what I, when I really was clued into that is when I started to be a session stylist, when I started to do hair on set, because I would have, I would do all this research and come up with these ideas that were phenomenal and I show up on the set and it was a completely different experience. <laughs> you know, the photographer had their idea, the stylist had their idea and bringing my idea into it can sometimes work and then sometimes it didn't. Right. So I think it really showed me being able to just adapt and have a repertoire of ideas, but being able to adapt any of those ideas to a certain kind of situation. That's awesome. Okay, so how did you find your way to here? Um, I was, let's see, I was 21 years old, 22. Me too. And a good friend of mine is a hairdresser, and he worked at this really amazing salon in Austin, Texas. And um, the owner of that salon, her name is Zan Ray, and Zan is still my life coach, if you will, or cool. mentor to this day, almost 30 some odd years later. Um, and he, hugely successful, drove a great car, had a fantastic apartment, had really nice clothes, and I thought, hmm. I said to him one New Year's Eve, I said, you know what, I kind of thought about being a hairdresser, and he said, oh my God, you should do it, you'd be great at it. So that's kind of the, how it started, but I think as a young kid, I kind of always wanted to play with hair, but my dad was a major in the Army, and he was mm -hmm. not letting his only son um, play with hair. So. Um, that's kind of how it started. And I remember, I, I tell the story quite a bit because we do a lot of education. I tell the story quite a bit about how the moment that I was in school, I went to barber school first. 
And the moment that I was in school, and I remember picking up a pair of shears and a comb, and how I tingled all the way from my tippy toes, all the way up to the top of my head, and I knew that at that moment, that this is where I was supposed to be. And that, you know, I, I truly believe that I was put on this planet to really help women discover their own, their own beauty. And that I have a vision for that. So I still tingle to this day when I have that opportunity to be behind a chair or in a hotel room or wherever. That's pretty cool. So you're tingling out of excitement, yes. not out of anxiety. No, well, you okay. know what I think anxiety, I, the body doesn't know the difference between excitement and anxiety. That's exactly right. And I think for me, it's always been about channeling mm. um, what those, what they are, Right. you know? Right. Um, yes, excited, yes, nervous. Yeah. And I'm still nervous to this day. We just came back from IBS show um, in uh, New York this past weekend where I sold out classes, sold out main stage um, and before we got on stage, I was extremely nervous. What mm -hmm. am I going to talk about? Am I going to be relevant? Are people going to like, you know, all the things that us as artists um, go through every single day. Okay, so how did you guys learn how to be good educators? Because I've seen you on stage and you're really great. You know, you're great with the personality. You get people engaged and laughing and smiling and enjoying. So where did you guys learn that? I mean, I learned as a kid. My parents had me in... Um, public speaking contests, radio speaking contests, good grooming contests. Um, I was, you know, in a small town, so I was in 4-H and Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just learning how to speak in front of people from a really young age. So it's something that has always been a part of my life that I guess feels like it comes naturally for me, but I've been practicing forever. Yeah. Did Aveda teach you? Yeah, I think that it, it did, you know. The opportunities <clears throat> as being an educator, um, and I've done so much television, and I've learned from every step of the way, from being on the Today Show to being on Good Morning America, there was a time where I would go on and they would well, you know, you have to speak up. Or, okay. Because I'm soft-spoken anyway. Beginning. Yeah. yeah. So I'm so soft-spoken anyway, so I knew that in order for me to speak up that I have to almost come outside of myself and or you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that if you can just do that in, in the expression of who you are, because it's acting, you act um, in front of your clients, you act in front of your parents or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you're acting. So if you can just take that same kind of acting and apply it to being on stage or being in front of a group of people, um, then you'll be hugely successful. I think that for, for me, <clears throat> it's always been about technique and what you can do in a technique to make that haircut or color uh, be the right one. But also, it's really about who you are and being dynamic. Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't, I've never been anything other than who I am, whether I'm with Angelina Jolie or my husband or mm -hmm. you, Eric, or a friend. Mm -hmm. that, um, yes. It's really pretty much the same person. I vouch for that. Being on stage, um, there's a, a bunch of different ways to make money from it. You know, generally doing platform work is sort of like doing editorial. You know, so you're doing editorial for a website, for a blog, for a magazine, portfolio. for your portfolio, whatever, and you aren't making a lot of money doing those things. You know, a cover of a magazine is like 150 to 200 dollars. But the cover of that magazine then in your portfolio is what brings the money in. So mm -hmm. 
when you're on stage at a trade show, for example, the budget might be very, very small. You might maybe break even after you pay your models and your team and catering and all the things that go into it. But the exposure that comes from that is then where you, if you have the, the savvy to you know, build that business and take that experience and put it out is where there's more opportunity to make money. Sure. I mean, I think that there's probably a few names in our business that get paid a chunk of change to go to an event and speak. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the people that are working those shows and doing the platform work are doing it because it's great experience and it will bring future opportunities for, for dollars. So you need a bread and butter. You need clients. I think most, most people, I, well, I'm talking about in general, <clears throat> platform artists, they need um, a, a source of income for the most part. And then if they're lucky enough to get on stage and they're good enough to stay there um, or do editorial work and stuff like that, then hopefully they can take that and then they can parlay that into additional opportunities sure. that propel them forward, right? And having that, you know, being in the salon and doing clients, that is what gives the credibility. Sure. You know, if you're, if that's why we still see clients because otherwise we're just figureheads talking about what should be people should be doing in the salon instead of like what we actually do in the salon. Right. Right. You know? Okay. So we mentioned editorial, you guys do fashion shows, editorial, uh, you have celebrity clients and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. How do you get there? Because that's, that's separate, right? It is. You, you guys are both platform artists and you have the celebrity clients, blah, blah, blah. Was, is that a different path? You know, again, talk to that hairdresser who's just graduated from beauty school in Nashville, mm -hmm. Tennessee. Mm -hmm. and and they want to do celebrity clients like mm -hmm. how, how, do, how do they get there well I think it's possible that you that they can do it in Nashville um, I get I just made that up no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> glad, I'm glad you did because a lot of people will DM me DM me from Des Moines Iowa or they'll DM me from you know Oklahoma Duluth. City or Duluth <laughs> and say I want to work on celebrities well the first thing question I always asks so where, where where do you live what's your demographic well if you live in those places more than likely you're not going to do a certain celebrity. Not to say that you couldn't, because there are newscasters, mm -hmm. there are politicians, there are all these people who are high profile that are in your neighborhood and your communities that you could do. So, not to say that you couldn't do a celebrity. Um, but it's hard to do celebrities it's hard if, to you're do celebrities if you're not where they live. And so, so Nashville, you got country music, sure, right? Sure, so, huge. So if you were in Nashville, Tennessee, how do you get to that you know, top 10% of country music stars? Well, I think it's networking. I think that say um, yes. It, say yes. Um, don't think that it always happens. You know, not everybody's a Kardashian. Mm -hmm. You know, that that Kardashian doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. Um, that a lot of people have to assist and um, build a great craft because the the thing that I have always been about my work is that I never wanted to only just work on one celebrity all the time. For me, it was about being behind the chair, doing my $1,500 haircut one day, the next day doing a celebrity, the next day doing a cover, um, the next day doing a fashion show, the next thing flying and doing editorial. So for me, it was always just about m making sure that I had a lot of different things going on because I love every aspect of the business. Mm -hmm. um, education, the salons, product, all of that has been really important to me. So what I say for someone who's coming directly out of school, I do think that beauty school is for to get a foundation. And 
in order to expand on the foundation, you need to have some working knowledge. And how you get that working knowledge is by working behind the chair, mm -hmm. by working on set, by working with a mentor, someone that can guide you in the right direction, because it's, it's more than just doing hair. You know, in, in the Milady's textbook, I was, I'm the creative director of the latest edition of the Milady's textbook. And in the Milady's textbook, it talks about um, how to be and being professional and all these things that are really important, not just only a one-length haircut or a balayage or foil highlights. There's a lot more other things going, that go into that. Mm -hmm. And there's a million people that can do good hair. Yeah. If it was just about doing good hair, then everyone would be doing a mm -hmm. lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's every single thing in our business is about relationships. And the way to get successful or to become successful is to focus on the relationship. I say it all the time, make the girls feel pretty. Like when they're in the salon, <laughs> they wanna feel pretty. When we meet a publicist, she wants to feel pretty. <laughs> when we meet a celebrity, she wants to feel pretty. When we're getting models ready on the runway, they want to feel pretty, mm -hmm. you know? So it's about how, not just about making their hair pretty, but it's about how they feel when they're there. And you, you affect how they feel by your chairside manner? 100%. Sure. Yeah. I always 100%. joke with the photographer, right, um, that you're getting ready to shoot Rachel Brosnahan, or you're getting ready to shoot Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, you're getting ready to shoot Deborah Messing. And those were all just last week. Nice. nice. So, not, not that we want to brag. Just facts. <laughs> yeah. so, so you're getting ready to shoot these girls, right? Yeah. And if I do not make them feel really good and help them to feel comfortable before they're on set, then you're going to have a problem shooting them. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the truth. So give me a tip. <clears throat> give you a no, tip. Don't give me a tip. Give, G give the new hairdresser in Nashville, Tennessee a tip. I think just always be yourself. And but what if you're an asshole? Just naturally. <laughs> what if you're just be a yourself. total bitch? Be yourself and be of service. Because we're, service. In, the, we're in the service business. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what our role is, is to be of service. Yes, to do great hair, but it's also to be of service. To be able to... Um, Make them feel really good about themselves. Be hospitable. Yes. From absolutely. A, absolutely. A, a, um, a position of hospitality. 100%. Mm -hmm. Anytime that I'm with a celebrity and we go places, people always know who I am. Mm -hmm. I do not, I downplay it. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's not my role at the moment. Mm -hmm. My role at the moment is to be of service right. for the girl that I'm with. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's really important that service is the, the, the most important thing. Next is episode 26 with Lin Fan, known as Be Seen on Instagram. Lin Fan talks about his journey from being a bartender all the way up to becoming a sponsored artist. And in this highlights, he talks about the process for coming up with his name, Be Seen, as well as challenges of being a salon owner. So three years into doing hair, I wanted to put a brand to what I was doing. And I remember what I was practicing on. And I was practicing on girls that were seen. There's this culture called seen, being seen. It's like... S-E-E-N? S-C-E-E-N. Oh, 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 seen. Oh, seen, obviously. Yeah. And this seen culture is like 
kind of like punk rock, emo-ish. They have like super choppy layers, block color uh, paneling, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like this culture, this lifestyle. It, it looks like Japanese punk rock. Okay. But it's like a lot of teens go through this phase. It's called scene. Okay. Like I'm a scene kid. Right. Right? And I was actually practicing on these girls when I started doing hair. Oh, so cool. when it was like time to think of a name, be seen. And I was like, Okay, that worked. And then I went to Instagram, and I could not believe that B-Scene was available. Not B-Scene And what one. year was this? This was in 2014. Okay. 2014, 2013 was when I like, put the LLC on it, got the Instagram. Oh, so you're legit. Like, I had to make it legit immediately. Trademark? Got the trademark. I got the trademark actually a year ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I got B scene one word, B scene two words, wow. B scene studios. Okay, so um, what an amazing group of people to practice on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because they let you experiment yep. and do fun things. Yeah. Which I think most clients are afraid of. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then it gave you this name that has become your brand. Yeah. Okay, so you start, so you become B scene, and then where were you working at the time? Um, I was working in my basement. I was working in the basement of a, a townhouse that I was renting out of uh, to go to hair school. I found this little basement room on Craigslist, made it into a little salon studio, yeah. um, and uh, started practicing. Okay, and then you graduate, and then where'd you go? Working in the salon that I was at okay. for just a couple months. And um, I was working very, very high-end salon, and I kind of fell in love with the creativity of hair, and I wasn't being too creative there. So that's why I just broke off and just kind of like practiced creative work in my house. Right. And put a name to it, and got an Instagram, and then if you go way back into my Instagram, you'll see that it used to be in a house. So, so you, you have can, your old pictures on there? They're still there. That's for everyone listening. Check out, check out Lynn's old. Oh gosh. But Lynn's real name is Lynn Fan, by the way. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Yeah, well yeah. now they do. They just, they just say B-Scene, that's it. B-Scene, mm. that's so pretty scene? sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you really like Madonna, right? <laughs> okay, so you kind of evolved through a few years, and then when did you open B-Scene Studios? Uh, ten months ago. Oh, it's that new. I didn't it's realize it's that new. It's super new, because I've been evolving and growing. You know, it, it takes a lot of growth and learning to, from a, to go from a house learn the logistics, you go into a salon suite, like uh, Salon Republic, like here, yeah. and just continue to learn and grow. Right. And it takes a while, you know what I mean? And so now, you know, a few years later, I'll, I was able to open my own salon. Okay, so um, how many hairdressers do you have working there? We have a staff of 30. And wow, they could be 15, 16, 17 hairdressers, okay. 19, uh, there's a Got lot. It. Got yeah, it. Yeah. And so did you have to get a partner to do that? Because that's a big undertaking. It is. Um, I do have a business partner, great guy, um, really believed in the business and he's not a hairdresser, he's not a creative. Yeah. He's the money guy, the finance guy, yeah. comes from a finance background um, and was a client of ours. Okay. Yeah, he was a client of ours when we were in a smaller space. Does he help with the kind of business logistics, the operations of running an operation like that? Because it's not something that you practiced before. I mean, you didn't own a salon like this and learn or any of that. You just started it. Yeah. Um, there were learning. Th there were things that I learned from 
a salon suite, mm -hmm. how to order product, how much product I go through. And when you add on styles, you just kind of like start doubling your order. Okay. Right? And then prior to BC Studios, now, the space before had six chairs, two shampoo bowls. It was a salon before? It was a salon corner of a spa. Okay. Had my own, okay, own okay. door. Yeah, so from there, I was able to learn how to, you know, like payroll and things like this. Um, and coming to the big space, I knew I had to get a salon manager, and I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, if you guys follow Anko Tran mm -hmm. from Ramirez Tran Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. um, he's a huge business mentor of mine, uh, an inspiration of mine as well. Like I look up to him as far as like hairstyling goes, cutting. Yeah. yeah, so learning from a lot of people, talking to a lot of people, meeting people, I've learned a lot quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So some of the, so what are the, some of the mistakes that you made early on? Mm -hmm. And I know it's only been a few months, so yeah. we're, in the, we're probably in the middle of that right now. So like, what are, you, what are the things you're struggling with? Right now, things are going really smooth. The getting, getting your salon manager, I think is, is huge, especially if you're a, a stylist that wants to grow in this new era of social media and the new industry, because I think it's new, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people do own salons, and all of a sudden you're being pulled from your salon to travel, and who's gonna take care of your salon when you're traveling? Yep. You gotta have a really good team, a really good backing. Um, so I, the team aspect of our salon like, really keeps it together while I'm gone. I've been gone three and a half weeks now. That's the longest I've been away. Right. And this is the last leg of it, being able to talk to you and sit here yeah. is the last leg of my three and a half week trip. You're going home after this. Yeah. yeah. Going home after this. That's crazy. Okay, mm -hmm. so you've got to hire a management team. Yeah. And that consists of a, a salon manager, yeah. uh, assistant manager, front desk staff, yeah. assistant staff, and then your stylist. And if I'm doing the math right, that's like 20, or I'm sorry, that's like uh, 15 people, give or take? The, the support staff. The support staff alone, yeah. Yeah, it's about 15 people. Mm -hmm. And then the, we, we have free interns as well that are learning and uh, performing as assistants to get that paid position as the next assistant and the growth of becoming a stylist at BC Studios. Next up, episode 27, how to be successful renting chairs in your salon studio. Eric interviewed a few hairstylists from Salon Republic that are successful in subleasing their salon studios. They give you some strategies on how to rent out your space and make a supplementary income. So when it comes to choosing who works alongside you, um, it's a pretty easy decision because these aren't. Have you ever had any new hairdresser that you didn't know about that you rented? I, I have. I have I rented the salon out per day rate. Okay. Um, sometimes people come in from from New York or Chicago or from wherever, wherever far place they come from. Okay. And usually they, they're a connection from a connection of a network of mine. Got of it. My network. Yeah. Friend of a friend. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about the offering. Uh, you said you have a day rate. Do you have anyone that, uh, is it just a day rate or do you ever rent for the station for the week? Well, I do, I do a chair rate, a chair day rate for $75 a day. Got it. If, and if they, if they want the salon itself, it's 250. Okay. Yeah. The whole thing. The whole thing. For the day. For the whole entire day. Gotcha. And you've got clients, and so you're booked out. So right. how much advance notice would they have to give you to get the whole salon, essentially kicking you out? 
Well, it would it would definitely depend on the time of the year too. Like sure. I wouldn't be dumb enough to do that during Christmas time or for a holiday. But after a holiday, things open up quite easily, and it's a matter of getting like one or two weeks' notice. Got it. Got it. Okay. And what is the arrangement that you, the kind of the formal arrangement that you have with the hairstylist taking the, the station? Is it just a, a handshake and a, hey, I, I know you, you know, buddy sort of a thing, you know, treat the place nice? Or do you have kind of a written agreement that they have to sign? I've only had to do one written agreement. I have those handy. I do have one written agreement handy. I've used it once just for formality reasons for someone who I didn't really know very well. Yeah. Um, it's important that when you bring the written agreement out, you don't scare them away. Sure. If I'm if I'm giving advice to other stylists on how to do this, you can't scare them away. Mm. You you can't do this. I need you to sign this and read this. You, you you can't do that. There are you can go to the internet and find some very long, wordy, boring, just out of out of this world kind of contracts, or have a small, simple one and say, listen, this holds you accountable for the for the salon, whatever you possibly destroy, like. The chair, whatever it is, it's formality mm-hmm. to sign this, and the salon's yours. You leave it at that. The and more the, you talk about the agreement, the more the more cold feet get. Yeah. And if a person is an experienced hairdresser, they pretty much know the formality of what an agreement is. Sure. And in given that you're working within your network, or maybe uh, one or two steps outside of your network, but still, you know, somewhat affi- closely affiliated gives you some right. confidence that the person is not going to burn the place down, right? Right, of course. Have you ever had any problems? Never had one. Never. And do you, when it comes to just basic treatment of the salon, like, you know, put your stuff away, clean up the shampoo bowl. I mean, do you, do you have to say that even to your friends? Well, I, I make sure that there's a, I put if state board comes in list. And I tell them, make sure that the quad morning compound is up to high and all your combs are, are emerged. Uh, make sure that there's no there's no hair in the in the catch in this in the sink. Those are just basics that every stylist should know, because once safe board comes in, you're accountable. And so is the owner of the salon accountable. Right. Right. Do you provide any product <laughs> or or let's say provide amenities? Products? Yeah. Yes. I provide product. Um, there's two station dryers in my salon. OK. So they don't have to bring their own dryer if they don't want to, but it's just two station dryers. All yeah. the, all of the irons and flat irons I provide as well. So, so hot tools. And they normally what? bring they normally bring their stuff though. They sure. like to use their own stuff. What about color? I do not supply color. Okay. But I also don't don't lock my color either. I, it's all on distrust. Right. And you've never noticed that anyone's stolen any. No. No. Okay. All right. So. So currently, how many hairdressers are, are using your studio, let's say, on a monthly basis? How many different people? Including myself, four. Yeah, well, in, in addition to yourself. Um, four. Okay. And so there's, you've got regular people coming in. Yes. And did, I, have did, regular, I have a Sunday renter. I have somebody on Mondays and Wednesdays. That's awesome. And then I have somebody after hours. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're pretty consistent. So, how do you schedule them? Well, I use um, an online booking. I, I like Vergaro. Vergaro is a pretty good online booking system. Um, I have to have one for each stylist because um, they only get to open up what is on paper they're allowed to rent. 
except for except for MJ, she's um, she's a floating partner, mm-hmm. so she she gets to come two days during the week whenever she wants. Um, but because after six o'clock, it's no matter. There's always a chair there after six o'clock. I'm usually gone by five. Okay. So you're using Vigaro not to book your, or maybe you're using it to book your clients, but you're using Vigaro maybe separately, maybe a separate account on Vigaro to book the chair. Right. So if for some reason, let's say, for example, Jeff wants, he's normally on Sundays and he goes, can I please switch my day for this week? My client can't come in on Sunday. It's coming on Saturday. So um, he'll look at my schedule, see if I'm, if I'm booked or not. And if I'm double booked, he can't use it. But if but if I'm but if the chair is open and it'll show that I only have one client at a time, you can see when it's completely clean. He will actually block off the other chair, so that or else book somebody on there so it's visibly I know someone's coming in. Gotcha. How did you learn? They all check with me first. Oh, they check with you first, like yeah. via text. They go, hey, um, how's Saturday? I'm like Saturday's good. Okay. Okay, I'll block off Saturday and book somebody for me. Okay, great. Gotcha. So as long as someone's someone's there, it's fine. <laughs> And, and so that doesn't become cumbersome, the back and forth on text? Or not you- really, because, for example, if I have to, if I have a client, let's say on Monday, Monday's not my day. So I have to, I have to contact Michelle. Say, hey, Michelle, are you using both chairs on Monday? She's like, no, you can use one for a few hours. Great. She goes, okay, I get to work for a few hours on Monday. But that, that's her day. Okay. If she says, no, I cannot, then I can't. Okay. I have to respect that. Right. I have something I could tell you. Uh, when, when when you're going to decide to rent or have subleasers, you can't nitpick the salon. You can't you can't complain about the stain on that or that this is broken. It's your job as a as a as a person that's renting to them to maintain the salon. I'm not saying that they should be pigs and they should destroy your place, but I'm saying that there are there people are working. Things happen. You you can't go on anyone's on anyone's my cat's over here, excuse me. You can't go on on um, anyone's throat because they've stained the chair or right. it's not it's not doable. I so think if you're that's... that kind of person you're the kind of person that that's too uptight about it, this might not be for you. I think that's might... so important because in in many of the instances when people tell us that they want somebody to come and help them pay their rent when they're not there it and they're struggling to find people to right. do that right um it's typically a result of them being control freaks about yeah. their space which is fine they can be control freaks about their space if they don't expect somebody else to come in there and use it and enjoy using it right right, right. i think that's so important that you said that it's so important because well, once you decide you're going to go ahead and do that and you realize that there's a there's a sunshine part of the park and there's a shady part of the park you're gonna enjoy the park no matter what just on this side shut up let them work and on this side enjoy it when it's your own right so things might be a little askew when you show up the next day you know the so-and-so bottle may have been moved or there might be a couple clippings of hair that got missed or maybe a piece of furniture was rearranged but that's just being a roommate that that's part of the deal yeah it's just it, because at some point I'm the one that has has to run off um, after I work and I forget to to uh, to fill the towels up for the next person, and so it's a give and take. They're going to let me slide on certain things. I'm going to let them slide on certain things. You're also a renter in your own in your own salon. Sure, you're like everybody else. Right. 
Very interesting. Okay, so have have you ever had to have a conversation, like an uncomfortable conversation, with one of your, you know, friends, kind of, you know, fellow hairdressers, and say like, you know what, you keep doing this one thing and it's driving me insane. Um, here's how it went, dude. <laughs> I know, dude. Seriously, dude. Yeah, I got it. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. Okay. We're friends. We've been friends for over six, seven, eight years. We've worked together yeah. for a long time, so. They know what they did wrong. Yeah. You know, they got caught. Right. Same time, they'll be like, dude, seriously, you didn't say, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, in the same way. It's like, so it's it's a give and take. Right. Have you ever had to uh, kick somebody out or at least not, you know, welcome them again? No. That's great. No. Okay. And I've been then- pretty fortunate. And then how does the payment work? Because I imagine with all these multiple days and multiple people, uh, it can get a little confusing. Well, you, you don't have to tell, up, just, just like the form of payment. Everybody ends up in their day and they just leave a check for me on the day that they're there. Got it. And it's, a certain, it's in a certain place for them. And that's how I collect them. Got it. And if, if I, for some reason, there's been times when they're late, I won't, I won't charge them a late fee. Yeah. Um, I don't need to. If, if, if it's so late that, that, that the receptionist up front is, is talking to me about a late fee, then I will talk to them and say, listen, you got to pay this. Right. And they pay. Got it. Oh, that's so cool. You're doing such a great job on it. I just find that when you're managing adults, remember that they're adults, like let them do their thing. If the more you are babysitting them, the more they're going to mess up. Next up, episode 28, Patience, Hard Work and Flow with Philip Wolf. He's known as Philip Wolf Hair on Instagram. He's a huge hair influencer. And he describes his move from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, how things are different over here, as well as the amount of work he had to put in and the amount of experience he needed to gain to get to where he is today. Advice for the, for the young, for the recent graduates, right? right? So when you hit the pavement, what are you doing? Are you going through the phone book? or Well, right. well we, we had Google at yeah, that time. Yeah, we did have Google so, at that time. Yeah. So what I would do is I would Google uh, salons that I felt were successful ones that I could grow with. But I quickly realized the culture on the West Coast with hair is nothing like it is on the East Coast. How so? You know? I feel like the East Coast has more structure. Okay. You know, Out here, it's all for themselves. You just got to figure it out. There's no, there's not a lot of mentorship. There's not a lot of companies where they're like, okay, come on in. This is how this works. We take care of this cost. We take care of that. You, you come into this education program. No, out here, it's just you latch on to someone you can learn from and then go on your way. There's yeah. no like real way of, you know what I mean? Yeah. At least that was my experience. Some people call that boundaries and freedom, And right? freedom, right. Yeah. And I think both are good to a yeah, certain degree in different parts of your career, right? I, I don't think that whole freedom thing is great right off the bat because right. people get confused. And I think that's when people get, uh, they quit early right. because they feel like, ah, this is not working They're lost. Out. They're lost. Maybe they have bad experiences. Right. And they don't think it's for them. It's totally subjective, isn't it? It very much so. Yeah. Okay. So, so how did how did you react to that? So I re- I, I quickly realized that, and I thought, okay, so wh- how do I play this? You know, what do I do? All the while, I need to pay rent and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? So my savings that I had it quickly <laughs> dwindled down. You know, so. I was lucky enough that early in my career I uh, was able to be very successful really quickly, you know. Okay. So I hit a, uh, a high mark of income pretty early, uh, mm-hmm. and that was just due to, I don't know, who I was working with. Yeah. And so I was used to a certain lifestyle, right? 
And so even though I had savings, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll make it again. And I realized, uh oh, my money's running out. What am I gonna do? Yeah. So it was a truly humbling experience. And I believe that was a great time to have that because I could have probably turned into a different type of person if I, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when you go through these hardships, it, it really lets you know, hey, let's get back to reality here. Yeah. You know, this is the real world. So it made me like really thrive harder. And I did everything from work. There was a place called Rudy's Barbershop. I yeah. don't know if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. It was just one of these cool hipster barbershops where cheap haircuts, cheap color, but people, it was just packed full of people. Right. So I got, did that part-time while okay. I was trying to get into a high-end uh, mm -hmm. salon because high-end salons were like, well, who are you? Right. What kind of clientele do you have? What can you offer me? This is pre-Instagram. Right, yeah. pre-Instagram. Pre so you probably pre have a book. The, right, you yeah. need something. And I go, well, I don't have, you know, I come from the East Coast. They're like, yeah, there's a million of you. So what can you do? Show me. And so I did some haircuts. Okay, cool. So you need to get clients in here, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I said, like it's all for yourself. Like right. they're not gonna necessarily feed you. You gotta right. feed yourself. Yep. Where I feel like where I was at in the East Coast, there's a bunch of people coming. Well, we'll disperse yeah. them as such. If you stay there long enough, you'll just get busy by nature. Right. But that's not the case that I found. Right. There. So, so would you consider that maybe more on the East Coast at the time? Maybe not anymore. Or maybe uh, not anymore. But at the time, more supportive, maybe uh, less reward versus a scenario in which uh, there's less support, but those who have grit and determination and yes. talent. Okay, so that's a good that's a good uh, question. I would say the East Coast at that time was more. Yes, we give you the support, but you're going to top out at a certain amount. Less so reward. I don't know that it. Yeah, less reward. Right. I would say on that aspect. So I reached that level. Yeah. And the next level was for me to own my own mm -hmm. and. Owning a salon of my own has never really been my goal because yeah. I, I just thought I'm going to be tied down forever over yeah. here. So I agree with you. Then on here, it's more freedom. But then if you really fight through and, and grind and hustle it the right way, yeah, it's endless opportunities. Yeah. Kind of like the California gold rush. It is. It is. So I said, I'm going to chance it. I'm young enough. I was, like I said, I was in my mid-20s at the time. Mm -hmm. I said, let's, let's go for it. Let's go for the gold. And I have to say, though, uh, my experiences throughout the years of doing all that stuff, you know, either being on set for a commercial or a TV show or a movie or fashion week or runway or whatever, all that was just exercise for me to be able to do what I'm doing now. So whatever look it calls for, I'm ready. Whatever type of setting it is, I'm ready. Yeah. Um, so I truly believe, you know, when you go to your path, you may not understand it at the moment. It may seem like BS to you at the moment, but just remember that it's essential. It's essential part of your growth that you may not understand at the moment, but it's good for you. Yeah. You know, and that's only comes through wanting this, you know, wanting to do different things. Yeah. You know, you so. are very patient. I mean, it sounds like you are very patient. I'm very you patient. Are, you were somewhere for six years and then you went somewhere else for six years and you right. went somewhere else for multiple years. And you, you built this foundation of, of knowledge, technical skill, things like that. And it sounds like you need to have that in order to break the rules in a good way. In a good way, absolutely, yes. So I would say all those experiences definitely helped me. And again, this is not even about the technical part of doing hair. It's learning the business and learning the, just all the other aspects that come along with it has helped me to become what I do 
today and will help me tomorrow and in the future years. So Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your Instagram because you do a great sure. job on Instagram and I, I pay close attention to you and I've, I noticed the evolution of the way that you're doing it. Right. And so tell us how you manage it. I mean, what, what's your thinking behind it? You're a very thoughtful person. So right. tell us about how you think about it, you know, recently. Right. So recently I, uh, well, I've tried to be as good as I can about uh, engaging back with people who follow You're me. Extremely good about that. So what? But, but, but what that does is it helps me learn. What do they want to see? Uh, I'm a big fan of YouTube. I have since the beginning, even when it was like not even a thing. And I watch a lot of successful YouTubers. Now I'm not a YouTuber by any means, but Instagram I feel like is a very snippet version of that. Mm-hmm. Or it can be if you utilize video and stories and you know your pictures. So I thought Instagram gives us all these different platforms in one application. So let me utilize as many of these as I can and learning what my followers love, let me work on that. Let me give them what I want. Because if I can't physically be in Brazil right now doing a haircut, at least they'd like to see a haircut that they'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Let's throw it out there. Let's see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. not everyone's going to like it, but but a lot do. And that's that's why I do it. And that way, when I do go to Brazil, which I gosh, I can't wait. <laughs> I don't know when that'll happen, but okay. I'm working on it. Um, it'll be great. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they they sort of feel, you know, they already know me. I already know some of them. You know, we go back and forth. Even when they're writing me paragraphs in Portuguese, I use Google Translate. I can at least get an idea of what they're talking about. Right. And I. I get back to them. So you listen to the market. Let's call I it do. the market. You I listen, listen to those people who watch and pay attention to you. Right. And you're sensitive to it, and it helps you kind of guide what you're doing. What I'm doing, right. Okay, so in my opinion, you're raising the bar on video recently. You know, you used, you're using different speeds, and you're right. you know, reversing the direction of the video. I, of course, highly encourage everybody listening. If you don't know Philip's account, go and spend some time there. Um, and don't just watch the first three seconds of the video. Watch, watch the full, you know, yeah. 50 or 60 seconds because your editing is has gotten so good. I mean, even compared to like five months ago. Yeah. So tell I've, us about that. Like, yeah. So I I've always been a fan of doing videos and editing, but I just I don't know. I didn't really apply it to Instagram as much, except for just the basics. But when I really started taking it more seriously, you know, using like Final Cut Pro and more advanced editing, uh, there's certain things where you get a minute, you get 60 seconds at most, right? So I'm like, hmm, you can't fit a whole hair, you know? So how can I, you know, create something where certain areas are definitely poppy, they, they hit you, and then some stuff that you'll get bored at, let me speed that. You know, so and I'm, I'm still learning too. I'm just trying to mm-hmm. figure out. But I know there's certain parts of a cut I really want to showcase. So I'll put those on the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Episode 29. This is part one of a two-part episode. Uh, episode 29 is meditation for hairstylists. How it will help you behind the chair. Eric spoke with a meditation expert to find out what it is. Uh, how hairstylists can benefit from it. And then episode 30 is a guided meditation session for hairstylists. How can a hairstylist benefit from meditation? Oh, I think, I, I think meditation, yeah, for hairstylists, 
could have a really powerful impact. You know, to me, because I've, I, you know, I've had the same hairstylist for almost a decade now, and, and I've had others in the past where I've lived in other areas. I think hairstylist, it's, it's a really interesting vocation because on the one hand, you know, obviously you're working with hair and so on and so forth, but I think there's a whole nother facet to what hairstylists do, and that is listening and being supportive. And well, depending on far, how far a hairstylist takes it, in many ways, it's, it's like very therapeutic for someone to go and get their hair done. There's this external beautifying, but when you're working with a hairstylist, uh, you know, you end up having conversations that can range anywhere from, you know, 15, 20 minutes to like three hours, depending on what you're getting done with your hair. And so it becomes this very intimate interpersonal exchange that tends to happen. And in my experience, that relationship can be very valuable and really positive and conducive to, uh, you know, um, happiness because people feel really good when they get their hair done. But the quality of that conversation, if a, if a hairstylist has the right mindset, can be mutually beneficial, not only to the client, but the hairstylist themselves. So it doesn't turn into maybe a negative or gossip or sort of meaningless, trivial exchange, but something that's really deep and powerful, which is what I currently have with my hairstylist. Every time we see each other, we catch up on one another's lives, but the way we choose to do that is through, you know, talking about the difficulties we've gone through, but the victories and the triumphs and what we've learned, and, you know, supporting one another, because that in itself is really important. And I think um, also being a really good listener, which I know I just said, but I think the listening piece is huge. And so if hairstylists are rooted in meditation where they spend some time in the morning and they work on developing positive, peaceful mental states, then when they go to their job and they're interacting with the clients and then also their coworkers and also the person managing the desk, I mean, there's so many human interactions going on in a hair salon every single day. The qualities of those interactions can dramatically improve. And you know, hairstylists, like in any other vocation, face certain challenges. They can deal with those challenges in a way that is more constructive and solution-oriented because you know, they have to deal with difficult people. And, and how are they going to do that in a way where they don't lose their mind? Right. So, so the challenges are the emotional dump that they get oh, yeah. from a lot of their yep. clients yep. throughout the day. Uh, and I think their clients might take advantage of the relationship and the amount of time that they're there in yep. the chair, in yep. the studio, in the salon. Yep. And uh, they, they just start dumping because maybe their boyfriend doesn't want to hear it or their husband doesn't want to yep. hear it. So the, the, the hairstylist gets that onslaught. They're stuck. They're stuck. <laughs> they're There's stuck nothing there. they can... So yep. maybe other than putting on headphones, which is rude. Right. So how, how do they, um, so tr let's try to be detailed on how they can uh, maybe defend themselves as the wrong, H how can they, they take that emotional onslaught and turn it into a, a positive sort of thing? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's such a great question. And, and I think that applies to anyone really. Like how, you know, to me, I think, I, a lot of it has to do with like how you show up and who you're being. And there can be sort of rules and boundaries that are established 
via like nonverbal communication, just through your presence and who and how you're being. Does that make sense? And so like if, if you're Give me in, details. If you're engaging in meditation practice, like if a hairstylist in the morning is engaging in meditation practice, like here's the thing about meditation, five minutes a day can have a significant impact on your state of mind. Just something really simple. A breathing technique, getting centers, getting centered. To me, uh, for a hairstylist, like knowing the book in advance, like who's coming in today, okay? And then like scanning the day, who's coming in? What types of personalities am I gonna have to work with? Um, where am I gonna get triggered? Where is, you know, is the person who does a lot of emotional dumping coming in today? Mm -hmm. And it's mental preparedness. Like, okay, how am I gonna show up for that person? And I think there's ways to work with anyone where it's like if you, if you start the interaction where you're giving a lot of agreement to someone, then they're always gonna come back for more agreement. Because the thing about problems is, when we establish that there's a problem, what we do is we focus on, give inappropriate attention and exaggerate whatever that problem may be, and one of the ways we do, because we want to validate the problem, is we seek agreement. So if we, if, if a hairstylist develops a rapport with a client where they're constantly giving them agreement and validation like that, then that person's always going to go to them about their problems because they're getting the agreement and they're getting the validation and they get to be, you know, significant and the star of their drama or tragedy, whatever the problem or the issue may be. And, and so it's like, how can, you, how can you interact with someone without necessarily giving that agreement so you don't get in the habit of every time they come, all they're doing is talking to you about their problems. And that's the hairstylist setting the precedent of how the conversation's gonna go from the beginning. Or if there's already been a rapport established somehow, like shifting that by getting the client to start to focus on solutions or seeing it from a different way. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, you know, say someone, someone's coming in, all they do is complain about their boss. They just complain about their boss or their partner. A lot of people do that. They go to the hairstylist and all they do is complain about their significant other. And that's not a powerful exchange. I think that's disempowering for both parties. And of course the partner who, the poor partner is getting beat up on. And maybe there's valid reasons for that. But somehow, like, getting the client to, to, to understand that, okay, voice the upset, articulate it in not like this long, drawn-out, dramatic way, but like, what's the, what's the actual problem? Like, what's the difficulty? What's the issue? And then from there, try to focus on a solution. But this also has to be done really skillfully, and it's like, the hairstylist can't say, okay, now let's solve the problem. Like it has to be like really natural. It takes a lot of skill, but it's like, okay, he didn't do X, Y, or Z. Okay, and, and that upsets you. And you know what? I don't know, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's got stuff on his mind. Is he okay? Get, get some compassion or something positive to arise in the client's mind so they're not just like hammering their significant other. But somehow moving the conversation towards some type of solution. Does that make sense? Yes. And I imagine that in the shoes of the hairstylist, 
uh, a lot of them probably just wants to get the service over with. <laughs> they they may not f- feel responsible to have to psychoanalyze the situation. Right. They they, they want to placate and mm-hmm. and say yeah 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 fine good and then mm-hmm. just be over it and then go to the next client right. Mm-hmm. So. So what you said makes sense, and, and I'm sure each person has their own capacity for dealing with it. But let's speak in a general sense. How, how does meditation help that hairdresser uh, protect themselves? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would say in a couple of different ways. If a hairstylist can get in the habit of meditating then what they naturally want to do, because some are addicted to drama, you know what I mean? Like they feed off that drama and it's, you know, a a salacious story or some like good gossip or something like crazy or dramatic, right? People tend to really respond to that because it's stimulating and you're standing there all day and we are in the habit of constantly being stimulated looking at our phones all the time, or there's always music playing, or maybe there's even TVs, you know, going on. So we have this habit of seeking happiness primarily through the stimulation of one or more of our senses, the more the better. And so that has to do with conversation too. And so I think one of the things that's really important is to understand where happiness actually comes from. It's an inside job. It depends upon your state of mind. And rather than look for hits of happiness outside your mind, just like train yourself to develop positive, peaceful mental states that feel really, really good and don't have anything to do with anything external, understanding where happiness really, truly comes from and not seeking that stimulation like externally because we all are in that habit of doing that. And then just having a level of centeredness where then we can, you know, like a hairstylist can approach their job with that. And when you're on that level, like when you're spiritually training, the, the type of person you appear in your life is different. And then the way they behave is also different. And so if you're sourcing all that, then who you're going to attract as a client is going to be someone that's going to have a meaningful conversation that isn't necessarily gonna be emotional dumping, or if there is something that they need to get off their chest, then they're gonna do it like quickly and without needing anything from you. And if, if we, if you could just like create the space for that client to come in and what actually happens is they chill out and they become relaxed and maybe there isn't even a lot of talking that happens or the quality of that conversation is vastly different. It's like you're kind of sourcing that whole experience through who you're being and meditation is a big part of that in that like you're training your mind, you're controlling your mind, you have positive peaceful mental states and you can positively influence someone without even necessarily having to say anything. And this is where the power of listening comes in, like just maybe listening, not feeling the need to input anything. And sometimes people just want to be heard. Listening is so rare nowadays. Most people are just waiting for their turn to talk. And then what they want to talk about is themselves. So just listening. And once someone feels listened to, they don't need to talk that much. 
they're just like talking at each other. They can talk for maybe like five or 10 minutes and then there's just like this comfortable silence between the two of you because they don't feel the need to talk about all their problems or anything like that because of how you're showing up, the space you're creating, the power of your being, which is, uh, you know, being created by that meditation practice. Hey guys, I'm back. Next week's Podloot will be a $150 Amazon gift card. For a chance to win, write a review on the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher.com. The review has to include your exact Instagram handle so I know who you are. Make sure you're following the Hair Game Podcast and Love Eric Taylor on Instagram. And then I put your name in my bag. Each week, I pull a name and I announce the winner at the beginning of every episode. You have to be listening to win. So you can DM me with your mailing address or your email address, whatever I need to send you your stuff. If you don't win, keep listening because your name stays in my bag in my office. You can win any week on any episode. For complete details, go to salonrepublic.com. Next week's episode will be my interview with British hairdresser Charlie Gray. Until then, have a great week. <laughs>